Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the, the Word of God is quick and it is active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it's able to pierce to the division of spirit and uh, spirit and soul, bone and marrow, and to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the scripture, if you read Psalm 107 verse 20, the Bible says he sent his word, and the word is like a sword and like almost like a, a, an operation knife. It's, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, sharper than any doctor's knife, and it gets to the part that man can't get to. And so I was preaching one night out in Saskatoon and we had a, we were at a church called Christ the Healer and phenomenal meetings. And on Sunday night I preached on, you know, the church is called Christ the Healer. So I preached on Christ the Healer. And Sunday night, a man is in the, in the auditorium. He's on the far left side of the auditorium and he has an incurable heart disorder that I, I forget the name of it, cardio something. Anyways, it's incurable. What happens is that the middle membrane of the heart gets so thick that your body, your, your, your heart's not able to pump enough blood throughout your whole body. So what ends up happening is there's an immense amount of fatigue that results as, uh, as a consequence from, from having that, that disorder. So he would like, he told me, if, 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 if I just swept the floor, I would end up getting like out of breath and out of commission. He said for about 18 hours, he'd have to relax, not do much, much more, just from sweeping the floor. Kofi, I, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's, it, I think it's, it's just, it's just a glow. It's just a glow. You either have it or you don't. I don't know. <laughs> Evangelist Kofi on welcome. God bless you, man. So he said, if I swept for like just a couple of minutes, I'd be wiped out an entire day. And so he come, I mean, you, you imagine living like that. That's why I can't get along with people that just preach like these self-help you know, nice psychological messages that, you know, they'll help you get through something. They'll help you cope. Christianity is not a coping mechanism. Christianity isn't, isn't uh, you trying to survive life. Christianity is you having power and dominion over the work of the devil. So you're not surviving. You're thriving where everyone else is striving. And so when we preach, we don't preach a message. You know, a lot of preachers, their message literally is, you're in a ditch, here's a blanket, here's a, a, a piece of bread, here's a pillow, get you comfortable, and you can just ride it out. That's not what Jesus preached. The Bible says in Matthew 4, 23 to 25, he taught in all their synagogues, he preached the gospel of the kingdom, and he healed every kind of sickness and every kind of disease that was amongst the people. So he didn't just talk nice principles. See, in North America, predominantly, all we've done is we've reduced this book to just a bunch of principles, a bunch of, you know, how to be kind to your neighbor, how to treat people nicely, how to love. And those are great. But if I'm to be Christ-like, I'm not just going to be Christ-like in following the principles of Christ. I'm going to be Christ-like in following the power of God, in, in, in enacting the, the Great Commission in its entirety, which Jesus said in Mark 16, in verses 15 through 17, go into all the world and preach this gospel of the kingdom. And he that believes 
and is baptized shall be saved. He that does not believe shall, shall be condemned. But in my name, those that believe in my name, these signs are going to follow them. So it's not just talking about, it's not, the gospel is not an oral presentation. The gospel is a show and tell. And Jesus said, in my name, in my name, if you'll speak my gospel correctly, if you'll preach this gospel of the kingdom correctly, in my name, these signs are going to follow. You won't, this guy was in the far left side of the auditorium. I hadn't even laid hands on him. All I did was preach the word of God in its entirety. You know, Paul said, I didn't shrink back from declaring to you the full counsel of the word of God. I didn't shrink back from declaring to you the things that were helpful to you. Romans 15 verse 19, Paul said this, in mighty signs and wonders, I have fully preached. So if there's not, if there's no signs and wonders in your meeting, you haven't fully preached the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus, the Bible says in John 2, 23, and many believed on him when they saw the miraculous works which he did perform. And many came to him after they heard of the wonderful things that he did. The scripture says, when they saw a man that was mute and demon-possessed, and Jesus cast the demon out, the mute man spoke, and his ears came open. The multitudes marveled, and they said, we've never seen anything like this in all of our life, in all of creation. When John 9, that man that was born blind, his eye came open. The, the Bible says that that man in... Uh, replying to the Pharisee says, isn't it a marvel? Isn't it a marvel that you don't know where this man is from speaking about Jesus? And yet he's opened my eyes. And he goes on to say, since the creation of the world, it has never been told or heard of a man born blind who's received his sight. And yet now you're doubting where Jesus or this man came from. Well, in the same vein, do you think that do you think that God operated like that on the earth just to start up the kingdom, just to start up Christianity, just to like, almost like it was like a, 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 um, a wind behind our sails to give us kind of like a push, a push start. But after that, you're on your own. After that, you can go and result, resort to programs. You can go and resort just to like, you know, nominal Christianity, just this, uh, Christianity that's all about just speaking, just, you know, encouraging words and stuff like that. After I'm gone, did Jesus say, you know, after I'm gone, don't go out and think that you're going to go out and, and, and heal the sick. Don't think you're going to open up blind eyes. Don't you go out and think you'll do the same works that you've seen me do. Matter of fact, he said the complete opposite. John 14, 12 says that you who believe on me, the same works that you see me do. Man, share this broadcast today. I'm glad to be back because I, I really feel like this is the message for the body of Christ today. So share this broadcast help me to get the word out to as many people as possible share it a hundred times if you have to because this word is going to change your life today and it's going to change the lives of those that tune in i'm confident in this gospel that i preach paul said i am i am fully persuaded i'm confident in whom i have believed i'm fully convinced of what he's able to do and i'm convinced of what god's able to do through this broadcast today in your life the scripture says the entrance of his word brings light and that light drives out darkness Darkness is your only problem in life. Once the light comes, darkness leaves, your problem goes, and you can march on in glory, march on in freedom without having to battle the devil year after year. And that's what I'm going to get in today, uh, into today. But 
before I do that, John, let me finish off. John 14, 12. The scripture says, these, wor these works that you see me do, you will do. And then Jesus didn't even stop there. He said, but you'll even do greater works because I'm going to the Father. That's why he had to pray for the Holy Spirit to come. Because when the Spirit came, the, the Bible says in Romans 8, 11, that same Spirit which raised Jesus from the dead, if he'll live in you, he'll quicken your mortal body and your human weaknesses, your human inadequacies, your human in, uh, frailties, insufficiencies, all your, your human uh, shortcomings will be swallowed up by the power of God. And then that's why Joel said, therefore, let the weak say I'm strong. You're not some weak, depleted uh, emaciated you're not some weak christian you're not some defeated victim of the devil you're not at the mercy you don't have an inferiority complex when you're when you're speaking about the powers of darkness in the kingdom of hell you are superior to the devil not because of anything you've done but because paul said in galatians 2 20 it's no longer i who lives it's no the old me is dead the old me the old tj that old sinner me that old man has been nailed to that cross romans chapter Chapter 6 and verse 2 says, At just as Christ was buried, uh, even so we were buried with him. That as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so now we should walk in newness of life. The old things are passed away. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. I'm a new creature. I'm a new species of being. I'm not a renovated a former version of my own self i'm a completely new creature and as such i don't have to live the same way the rest of the world lives i don't have to struggle with the same grief and and strugglings and 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 torments of this world i don't have to go through you know the bible says though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death so yes we live in this world but our story doesn't have to end the same way the world's story ends the, the way um, other people's story end where it just seems like a series of unfortunate Fortunate events. Things go from bad to worse to worse. But how many of you know they kept a good heart through it all? That's not our story. Because the scripture says, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we're not going to fear any evil. For his rod, his word does comfort us and guide us to our desired haven. And God said, I'll even prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. You know what that tells you? Hell can storm around you. Hell can be raging around you. The devil can come to the earth having great wrath and he might have a great plan to wipe you out but God has a higher plan and a different plan that in the midst of the devil trying to get to you God's going to set up a table with his best blessings for you to feed on it's like man it's like having a, 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 a big gate around you and in within that gate is you God the Holy Spirit Jesus and then a table set with steak filet mignon lobster everything you always loved and on the other side of that gate is the devil trying to reach forward trying to grab you but the good news is he doesn't have a reach that's long enough to get to where you're at because the scripture says you hallelujah you're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus the devil can't get to where you're at because Romans 12 says the devil's been cast out of heaven having great wrath he's lost his place in heaven the scripture says there's no longer any place found for him in heaven that means where you are the devil can't even get to where you are the devil has no access then people always say well then what about job you know the scripture says of job that the the devil and and uh, the devil appeared before god in the heavenly courts and he and he appealed uh for job 
and he tried to get at Job. And God said, well, have you considered my servant Job? And then the scripture says, Satan said, yeah, but you've put a hedge of protection around him. I can't even get to him. Well, I'll lift it up for now. You go ahead and do whatever you want. People think that their life, the reason why tragedy happens, misery happens, life's just a drudgery is because they're like Job. And God's just allowing things to happen till the devil can have his field day on you. And after he's done, he just goes on to the next person. But the scripture, if you study it properly and understand covenant, Job was written before Jesus. Job was written before Moses. Job, though it's in the middle of your Bible, is actually chronologically before even Abraham walked the earth. And as such, he didn't have a covenant with God. So the hedge of protection that was lifted, it wasn't set in stone by the blood of Jesus Christ. Job's righteousness was based on his own works. Job's righteousness was based on his sacrifice and his dedication to God. His righteousness was based pretty much on, on the cleanness of his hands and his ability to uh, to do all things right. But how many of you know we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the only perfect person ever walked the earth was Jesus Christ. And so the hedge of protection, which even the devil testified and said, I can't get to Job because there's a hedge that you've put around him. I can't get to him, can't get to his health. I can't get to his family. I can't get to his business. I can't get to anything in his life. So even if I try to do something, God, you've put a hedge of protection around him that I'm not I don't have any access I don't have the password to enter into his house and God said you're right so let me lift it but that hedge could be lifted because Job was not righteous before God Job was not perfect he didn't have the blood of Jesus that had been shed uh, for his sins he looked forward to the Messiah that's why you can read in 933 Job 933 if only my redeemer or my mediator was here so he can put his hand on me and his hand on God and make peace between us and, and who was he referring to? He was referring to Jesus Christ. Well, in this new covenant, we don't, we don't look forward to that mediator. We look back to the mediator. We look back to our Redeemer. We look back to 2,000 years ago when the blood of Jesus was shed on your behalf and on my behalf. So that now our righteousness isn't dependent on how on how you know our, how our life's been lived up until this point no the moment you gave your life to Christ the moment you confess lord i'm a sinner and i need your help the bible says god made jesus who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of god in Christ Jesus i was a sinner you got to stop identifying as a sinner you got to stop identifying as someone who's just bound by sin uh, you know people always say you know, we're just wretched human beings. We're just deprived humans. You were a deprived human. You were, you know, the time you speak like that about yourself, you're really speaking about Jesus the same way because it's Jesus, uh, the scripture says, it's not even you who lives, Christ lives in you. So you got to be careful the way you talk about yourself because the way you speak about yourself, you're actually speaking about the Christ in you because the Bible says in 1 John 4, 4, that ye, uh, greater is he that lives in you. No, 2 Corinthians 6, know ye not? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So put a guard over your mouth. Set a door over the over your lips. Don't just speak whatever you feel. I don't feel righteous. I don't, it doesn't matter what I feel like. It doesn't matter if I feel, if I don't feel anointed. It doesn't matter how I feel, what I see, what I hear. I don't walk by what I see. I don't walk by what I hear. I walk by the word of God, by faith in God's word. And as such, if, if I don't feel righteous, I 
I know I'm righteous because the Bible says in 1 John 3, 7, little children, he that, he that, um, he that does not practice sin, he that does not sin is righteous even as Christ is righteous. So you got to write, write that out in the comment section. I'm righteous as Christ is righteous. I'm righteous as Christ is righteous. You know, the scripture says in the book of Zechariah chapter 3, a story of jo uh, jo Joshua, the high priest, standing before God. And as he stood before God, the scripture says that Satan, the accuser of the brethren, stood by him. And Joshua's priestly garments were dirty. They were stained by sin. You know, the Bible says we all turned aside. We all fell short of the glory of God. We all had this poison of sin running through our bloodstream. But listen to what happened next. The accuser began to accuse him before God day and night. And God told the, the devil just to shut up. And he said, this is my brand that's been plucked from the fire. I've rescued him. I've delivered him. I've caused him to escape the corruption of sin. And then he called an angel and said, take off those dirty garments. Take off those, those filthy, sinful garments. Take off those sin-stained clothes and that sin-stained turban he had on his head. And he said, wipe it off and now lay on him white robes. Put on him a white turban. That's what exactly what happened with the prodigal son. When he came back to his father he thought he was gonna have to win his uh, his father's favor he thought he was gonna have to contend and plead with his father he thought he was gonna have to beg him to give him access back into his house. he said man I'll just be one of your hired servants don't even make me a son anymore don't even give me the inheritance just make me like one of your hired servants a and what happened when he came and stood before the father the scripture says the father ran out to meet him that's the only place in the entire Bible where where God is pictured as running to somebody. Where God is pictured as running in all the scriptures. This, uh, I mean, God, that's how that shows you the desperation God has to turn your life around. He's not just waiting by, well, you know what? If he doesn't, even if he comes back, he'll have, to, he'll have to jump through hoops if he thinks he'll get my blessing. No way, Jose. After everything he's done, he, he's going to have to work a lot harder for, it, for the blessing. He's going to have to work a lot harder to be healed. That's what people told me. I had spent so many years countercurrent to the call of God. So I guess, you know, when I was sick with OCD, this was just God's dealing and God's doing and that I would have to, you know, bear it out for a little longer because you know who do I think I am if I got myself in the mess then I should get myself out of the mess well if that were the case we'd all be going to hell because we all got ourselves in the mess we all sin the scripture says all of us like sheep went our own way if the if that was the way God dealt with humanity that we got ourselves in this mess so we should get ourselves out we'd all be messed up screwed without hope without help we'd be on our way to hell on the quickest train there was but thanks be unto God the scripture says in Ephesians 2 1 we all turned aside we all were under the spirit of disobedience the Bible says we walked according to the course of this world and were by nature children of wrath but the scripture says but God was rich in mercy because of the great love that he has for us hallelujah he was rich in mercy 
He didn't just quicken our mortal bodies. He didn't just quicken our spirits. He made us alive. And then the scripture says, he raised us up and made us to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. That's what happened to the prodigal son. He came back. God didn't just say, okay, you can come in, but you're still going to have to, you're going to have to start from square one. You'll just be a gatekeeper and then you can, you can move up through the, through the ladder, but you're, you, you're not my son anymore. You're just a hired servant. No. He said, now my son was lost, but now he's found. So go and get the signet ring, which represented keys of authority, which represented the authority of his father's house. Go and get that signet ring and put it on his hand. Go and get the white robe and put it on his, on his back. And then get the fatted calf and slaughter it. For this my son was dead, but now he lives. It, hallelujah. That's a picture of how God treats you and how God treats me. When we come to him in faith and say, Lord, I did screw up. Lord, I did go my own way, but I'm here humbly bowing before your throne. The Bible says if you'll humble yourself before the mighty hand of God, he will exalt you. He'll lift you up. The scripture says he lifted me up out of the miry clay. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 1, First uh, Samuel chapter 2, that he lifts up the beggar out of the dunghill. He lifts up the, the poor man out of the, dash, the, the, the ash heap so that he might seat him with the princes of his people. <laughs> That's not what grace is. Grace isn't you having to work your way up. Grace is God supernaturally accelerating you so that you have now passed out of judgment into life. You've now passed out of death into health. You've now passed out of bondage into freedom. The scripture says those who sat in darkness and and in and bound by afflictions and change they have seen a great light those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death have seen a great light and that light drives out darkness you are been, you are free people are looking forward to someday where Christ is going to come forward and wave some magic hand over you and finally, you'll be free. But if you'll understand today, the moment you accepted Christ into your life and he came and now dwells in your heart, that's the moment you were set free. But until you believe the emancipation proclamation over your own life, you're going to stay bound until you, you know, it doesn't matter if the warrant of the jail, uh, the prison cell came and delivered you a letter saying you're free and opened up the prison doors. If you just sit, staying down, leaning over, on the wall of your cell and just have that letter in your hand and just complain about how you wish you were free, how you wish things were different. And just, you know, I guess one day I'll be able to get out of this cell. I guess one day I'll be able to, to, to run free. I guess one day, you know, even if it's not here in this life, one day I'll, I'll finally be free from this. If you just look at the letter that the warrant handed you and just confess it and say, man, uh, how many of you know that Jesus came and died for our freedom? Oh, praise God. But you stay seated in that prison cell with your back leaning against the wall. But the doors are open. You're going to stay bound. But if you'll get up today and act on the word and say, man, the word says I'm free. The prison, the anointing opened up the prison cells. Christ lives in me. And the scripture says, if God be in me, what can stand against me? Then I'm leaving this prison cell of sickness. I'm leaving this prison cell of, of disease. I'm leaving this prison cell of sinful addictions and habits. I'm leaving this prison cell of death. I'm leaving this prison cell of decay. I'm leaving this prison cell of poverty. I'm not destined for wrath. I'm not destined for curses. I'm not destined. 
destined for reproach and shame. I have been destined for blessing. Goodness and mercy is what follows me all the days of my life. And if the blood of Jesus, if God said in Romans 8.32, if God did not spare his son, but opened it up, but uh, delivered him up for us all, will he not freely give us everything else richly to enjoy? God's not trying to hold back the blessing. God has already blessed us in Christ. And the Bible says every spiritual blessing is available to us in Christ Jesus. If it's available to us, and Matthew 11 says the kingdom of heaven can only be taken by force, can only be taken by, by you seizing it. If it's available, I'm not just going to sit down and gloat about it. I'm not going to just boast about it. I'm not just going to say, yeah, how many of you know every promise of God is yes and amen in Christ Jesus? Yeah, that's true. But I'm going to seize it by force. I'm going to make sure if things don't look and line up the way this Bible says things should line up in my work, in, in, in my Bible, in my life, then I'm not just going to sit back and just wish things away. I'm going to take the kingdom of heaven and enforce it on the earth through prayer and through the confession of my mouth. The Bible says if you submit yourself to God, resist the devil, the devil can't hang around a Christian that is on fire for God and knows how to resist him. But if you don't know how to resist him, he'll gladly stay. He'll gladly accommodate your poor theology. He'll gladly stick in and, and, uh, and accommodate your, your defeated mentality. If you think life, you know, life's just a mountains and valleys that sometimes the devil, you know, he, he does things in your life and, you know, ultimately we'll have the final victory in the next life. If you think that way, then you're going to live bound. You're going to live total. You're going to, the devil's going to accommodate that mentality, that theology, that way of thinking. He'll gladly set in. The Bible says we're not to give a foot place or a room for the devil. You give room to the devil by the words you speak. If you say, um, you know, every time, every time it seems that I take a step towards God, it seems like hell just heats up the furnace seven times. And, and, and it's like every time I'm in an anointed meeting where I feel some slight, slightest form of breakthrough, it seems like after that meeting, everything just, you know, goes from worse to worse, seems like. Uh, the devil rages a lot harder and tries to bring me back in. And, you know, I've been fighting this thing off for year after year. If you think that way, then life will continue to be that way. But if you'll understand, and all this was pretty much me saying that that's the, that's the gospel we preach. If you'll understand that the scripture says we have a shield called faith that we can quench every fiery dart of the, of the devil. Not bear every, quench, totally eliminate, totally put down. The scripture says, we're not ignorant of the devil's devices, lest we should be taken advantage of him. You're ignorant of your adversary. Any army that goes to war studies and understands the strategy of the enemy and of their opponent. If you're ignorant of that, that's where the opponent has a, a, an advantage over you. Paul said, I'm not ignorant. I, I know the weapons of my warfare. Though they're not carnal, they're mighty through God. Meaning, they're not carnal, they're not fleshy, they don't have, they're not material. They don't take on a, a, a material form. You can't just, you know, prayer is not material. Confession's not material. These things are not material, they're not carnal. But the scripture says they're mighty in God to pull down strongholds. Not to, to just, you know... <laughs> sit in the stronghold all the while maintaining a positive confession. No, to pull down the strongholds. You know, my, my son's addicted to drugs and all, but 
I know God has a plan in all this. That's not the, what the scripture says. The scripture doesn't say we're to just marvel at the stronghold. The scripture doesn't say we're even to pray about the stronghold. The scripture doesn't even say we're to sit back and hope the stronghold goes away. If you don't resist, the devil will remain. If you don't confront, the devil will continue to conquer. If you don't stand up, the devil will continue to stay in place. But if you'll resist the devil and use the weapons of your warfare, the scripture says that the stronghold will be pulled down and you'll gain a great victory. And I prophesy in the name of Jesus as this message gets into your spirit today, that force called faith is going to rise up not to tolerate not to bear the attack, but to take authority over the attack you've been facing, the depression that's been in your life, the anxiety, that spirit of distress and fear in the name of Jesus Christ. As this message gets in you, I, I prophesy in the name of Jesus, the power of God's going to overwhelmingly go to work in you and pull down every stronghold that the devil set up, every plague of long, it doesn't matter if it's been 12 years, 18 years, or 38 years, when Christ moves in he's a steamroller he steamrolls every obstacle the devil sets up in your life and he puts you on your way in freedom the scripture says whom christ sets free is free indeed receive that freedom now in the name of jesus christ in the name of jesus so going back to saskatoon this guy has that heart disorder if you're just tuning in now there was a man that had a heart disorder middle membrane thickened Doc, only two doctors in the whole world able, able to perform that surgery and he didn't want to get it. His brother got the surgery, had the same condition. And he said, I'll just believe God for, for healing because the surgery is messed up. They have to take your heart out, cut it up. And then in the middle, uh, then they, they have to like do some work on the middle membrane and then they put it back in and it's just not pleasant. You don't want to go through that. And so he's in that meeting and he says, as I'm preaching, he felt like an invisible hand and go into my heart. And he said, I felt knives and scissors and, and cutting going on, but it had no pain. And uh, the moment I felt that, I knew God was doing something. He, he testified. So he said, I, I got, um, when the altar call was given that night for hands to be laid on for healing, I got up out of my seat and I came to the altar. And the moment he came up, I remember I told him, take your hand and put it right on your heart. Well, that was by the word of knowledge. So obviously, you know, having felt that in his seat and then coming up and the minister telling you, put your hand on your heart. Obviously, you can't mistake it. God was doing something. So he puts his hand on his heart and the power of God hit him strong. He goes home that night and he said, I tested it. If I just, if I just like, if I tried to exert any physical movement beyond just walking, and doing minimal activity, I would be wiped out. I'd have to go to bed. I'd have to take a nap. He said, I ran from the front of my house to the bottom of my, to the, to the back of my house. Hey, Tanika. Tanika was in that meeting. She's on YouTube watching. I ran from the front to the bottom, the back of my house as fast as I could. And when I got there, I wasn't out of breath and I, I didn't feel tired. So I, I said, man, Lord, the Lord really did do something. Praise the Lord. So he said, I'm going to test it tomorrow. The next morning, he wakes up at 5 a.m. He said, I did everything that I could normally not do. I worked on my house. I did outside work on my house. I, did, uh, I ran errands, did some chores, went to the bank, did everything he could not do uh, naturally. And he said, I got home, and he came out to the meeting that night. 
uh, that was a that was a, a Monday night, and he came up to me after the service. He said, "I got home today. I didn't feel any tiredness, and I came to this meeting. I feel great." He came up the next night. I said, "Well, you're going to testify tomorrow night." which was uh, Tuesday night, the Tuesday night service. He comes up and testifies of what God did for him. And uh, the whole crowd's in tears because they all knew who he was. You know, the majority of the people knew him. They knew his condition. And for him to be talking, and then he started, even while he was testifying, you can see the anointing come on him, and he starts like jumping almost, like he was like really pushing himself, walking back and forth. And the power of God had totally wiped out that heart condition, that totally, you know, the, that's why it started off by saying Hebrews 4.12, the, the, the word of God is quick and active, it's a sword that goes into the places that a human knife can't even get to, where you'd have to go, I mean, just think of that surgery, how messy it is, take out your heart, he didn't have to go through that because there's a more excellent way and the power of God totally broke that affliction that captivity of sickness which had been on him since he was born I tell you there's nothing the devil's done to you or your family your body your finances that the power of God the anointing Acts, uh, Isaiah 10 27 the anointing lifts up the heavy burden and breaks every yoke of captivity it's not like Bob got healed on Sunday night and then Monday night he came back and he said well it came no he actually said I took I, I threw away all my medication not by faith I just didn't feel like I needed it anymore. He, it wasn't by faith. He just said, I, I didn't feel tired. I didn't feel fatigued. Why am I going to take something for something not, that's not even there? So he threw it away, not by faith, because of the reality. Faith doesn't bring superficial victory. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world and all the problems that the world would bring. So I want to go through very quickly four categories of Christians that are on the earth. Four categories, four levels of Christians that, uh, that occupy seats in churches all around the world. Before I do that, let me read 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 8. 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 8. Thanks for joining me. If you're just coming in now, please share the broadcast. It's good to be back. I'm just going to check for some reason my live stream here. Uh... My live stream here is totally like, I don't know if it's frozen or something. Praise the Lord. Faith is the victory. I want you to write that out in the comment section, right? Faith is the victory that overcomes this world. So let me read this. 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 8. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel and he consulted with his servants, saying, my camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel saying, Beware that you don't pass this place for the Syrians are coming down here. And the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told them. Thus he warned him and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show which one of us is for the king of Israel? And his servants said, None, my lord, but Elisha the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak even in your bedroom. And so he said, go and see where he is that I might send and get him. And I it was told him, surely he's in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses, chariots, and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city of, uh, with horses and chariots. And his servant said, alas, my master, what are we going to do? 
What shall we do? And he answered, do not fear. So the first thing, when you see attack come on your life, when you see the devil trying to execute an attack on your life, the first thing you got to resolve in your own heart is I'm not going to fear. Before Elisha could do anything in taking authority over the attack of the devil that had been sent against him to wipe him out, he had to settle it first in himself. I'm not going to fear. And then he told his servant, you're not to fear either. Don't fear. Fear is a choice. Faith's a choice. You got to choose to believe. It's a decision you got to make. You, that's why the Bible says in, um, I think it's in the book of Philippians. Paul says, I know in whom I have believed. I know in whom I've believed. It was a decision. He said in Philippians 1.6, I'm convinced that he that began a good work in me is going to complete it. That means I'm convinced that when I got saved, that wasn't the end of the story. I'm convinced that when I gave my life to Jesus and I handed over the keys of my life to him to take the, the, the driver's seat in my life, that wasn't the end of it. People see salvation as like the end goal goal the end the objective in in uh, coming to christ that you know ultimately our sins are forgiven that's it we have our sins forgiven we have a blank slate that's it you know that's the victory praise the lord uh, it doesn't matter what else happens after here no that's just the beginning that's like the inauguration into the kingdom of god the bible says when that happens we're translated out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of god's dear son and now we're qualified to partake of the inheritance that christ's blood purchased for us so salvation is like the first step salvation is like you now are enrolled in the school of God now you're, you're able to, to take part in the blessings of God you're able to take part in the powers of the age to come now you have the keys of the kingdom to execute authority and to take charge over your life to have command in the affairs of life so salvation isn't just having your sins forgiven that's the that's step one now David said, when God becomes your shepherd, now you enter into a realm where you don't lack anything, where you don't have to want anything, where when you delight yourself in the Lord, He begins to, to give you the desires of your heart. Now you're in the, the class of God's children, God's redeemed children, adopted children. And the scripture says we are now sons of God and as such heirs of God, heirs according to His promise. The scripture says we are partakers now of His divine nature. Man, people, the body of Christ has belittled the work of the cross to just having your sins forgiven. That's great. If all it was, then I'd be saved just as much as I am now and I'd be preaching just as strong as I am now. But the fact of the matter remains the same. The scripture says, if God did not spare his own son to deliver us, will he not freely give us everything else richly to enjoy? The scripture says, no good thing does God withhold from those that walk uprightly. The scripture says, he that covers his sins will not prosper. But if you'll confess your sin and forsake them, God's mercy will be evident in your life. God's blessing will be evident of your, in your life. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's where people like to stay. Well, I'm redeemed. We're going to heaven. But it goes on to say, not only did he redeem us, he redeemed us from the curse of the law, which if you look at the curse of the law in Deuteronomy 28, talks about sickness, mildew, fever, dysentery, talks about uh, poverty, lack, talks about the devourer eating away at your stuff, talks about a bunch of things, even sicknesses and disease, which are not even listed. It talks about trial. It talks about, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
constant defeat, perpetual defeat, perpetual loss, constant attack. That's part of the curse of the law. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. But not only did he redeem us from the curse, the scripture goes on to say in verse 14, so that we can enter into the blessing of Abraham. I'm not just redeemed from the curse. I'm now blessed. I have the blessing of Abraham on my life. What was Abraham's blessing? Read it in Genesis 12. Abraham, if you'll depart from your country and leave your relatives and go into the land which I'll show you then in that land I'll bless you oh I'll make you I'll make you great and your name will be great and all these blessings will come upon you and the scripture moves on to say everyone that decides to bless you even they people that get alongside you to help you and encourage you that'll give a blessing even to their lives and those that decide to try and curse you and try to come against you and try and set up obstacles in front of you the Bible says those that curse you shall be cursed so that blessing on your life it's a sworn blessing that God has sworn to Abraham and through Christ we're now the seed of Abraham and partakers of that blessing so that those who bless me they'll receive a blessing and those who curse me they're just going to get wiped out by the wind of God's hand sweeping their way that's why the scripture says in Psalm 112, how blessed is the man who greatly fears God, who keeps his commandments. He's never going to have to fear evil tidings. He doesn't have to fear a year of drought. He doesn't have to get anxious when things go wrong around him. He doesn't have to get anxious when a world goes into a pandemic. He doesn't have to get worried about evil tidings and bad reports. On the flip side, his heart is steadfast. He trusts in the Lord that the same way God was good to Abraham, the same way Abraham made it through all of of life's battles the same way Abraham was old and well stricken of age and the Bible says God had blessed him in every way I'm I, hallelujah because my heart is steadfast trusting in the Lord that same blessing resides on me and the wicked the enemy my adversaries the scripture says in Psalm 112 all they'll be able to do is to look at my life and grind at me with their teeth and melt away like wax before the fire that's because when God says there's a lifting up there's no devil that can bring you down the only only thing they can do is grind at you with their teeth get angry at you you know that's why you have people around you even at work you seem to be getting promotions you seem to always have you're always happy there's always a joy and they always why are you always happy why are you always getting promotions why man you're not even qualified for that why the heck did he give you that job why and they just get angry they're not happy for you they're not celebrating your success they're angry because they don't have a good spirit in them and that's what the bible says people around you will do the wicked will gr grind their teeth at you they'll get angry because they're working harder than you are because the blessing of God's not on them no matter how hard they work if you don't if the Lord doesn't labor on the house they labor in vain that work on the house they're working harder but you're getting promoted they're, they're staying in longer hours but you're getting all the work done in fewer hours hallelujah that's what God's blessing does that's why Laban in Jacob's state Jacob was Abraham's great uh, grandson just his grandson and the Bible says the same blessing I was on Abraham was on Isaac and through Isaac on on Jacob and Laban Laban a man who was exploiting Jacob when Jacob was saying man I'm leaving I'm picking up my bags and leaving Laban said just stay with me stay with me a little while longer because I've I have learned by experience that God has blessed me because of you. 
Hallelujah. I've learned my experience. God's blessing can be experienced. It's not some ethereal thing. It's not just you having peace in the storm. It's not just you, you know, maintaining a good attitude, a good spirit. No, God's blessing can be experienced. You can see the scripture says, and all the nations will see that you're a nation called by the name of the Lord. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 3, I'm going to spare you as a father spares an obedient and dutiful child. And I, and the world will then again distinguish between those who serve me and those who serve me not. I tell you, your life is going to be distinguished. There will be a distinction between you and everybody else. They'll know that you're not operating on the same line of frequency that they are. They'll know that you're higher than them. They'll know that you've been called from above and are above all. They'll know that you're a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, God's special possession. And they'll be in awe and fear God because of it. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. If you're just tuning in now, welcome. Lisa, Shauna, Rebecca, Nicola, God bless you all. Share the broadcast if you haven't shared it already. And uh, let me continue reading. So the Bible says, what shall we do? He answered, don't fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open up his eyes so that he can see what I see. That he may see. And the Lord opened up the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So notice it doesn't say those, mount, those uh, chariots of fire were all around the servant of Elisha. Because if you don't see it, then you'll, you'll be robbed of the blessing of it. Elisha saw it in his spirit. He didn't have to have eyes to actually see the chariots of fire. He saw it in his spirit. And so when the, the servant's eyes were open, the Bible says that the chariots of fire and the army of the Lord was all around Elisha. So Elisha was benefiting off the blessing he was able to see and locate. So what you don't see in this Bible, what you don't find out, belongs to you in this Bible, you'll never partake of that blessing. You'll never operate in that level of power if you don't know it's available to you. Faith is what taps you into the power of God and faith begins where the will of God is known. So what you don't know exists or is available to you, you can never be a benefactor or beneficiary of that blessing. But when you're, that's why Paul said in Ephesians 1.17, I pray that the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of His Word, so that you may be able to see as your eyes are open, be able to see what is the surpassing greatness of God's power that's available to you. So it's available, but what you don't see, you'll never experience. Because what you don't see, you can't expect. And what you don't expect, you'll never experience. Because expectation, the scripture says, the expectation of the righteous shall not be cut off. So I pray in Jesus' name, just like Elisha prayed for his servant, I pray whatever problem or situation you find yourself in, that the enemies blinded you to the promise of God found in this scripture that would be able to cheaply, effortlessly break you free from that thing. I pray that God would open up the eyes of your heart even now, that you'd be flooded with light to see the way out, to see the way of escape, so that the last day of defeat you ever suffered would be the last day you ever have to live defeated from today. You're going to take the stance of an overcomer in Jesus' mighty name. In the name of Jesus. So let me go through four categories of Christians, which pretty much, this is a great opening, 
I, I'm not going to go much longer. We're already 51 minutes, but this was my introduction. The reason why there's different levels is not because God decides to exalt one above another. It's not because God decides to bless one over another. It's not because God has given more power to one over another. The reason why there's a difference in, in, uh, in, um, in different categories of Christians on the earth is because there are some people who are, you know, even Jesus said, there's the fertile soil, so people that are saved. And when the seed of the word is sown on that heart, they bear fruit with understanding, but some 30, some 60, some 100, 100 fold. So there's different levels of understanding, and as such, there's different levels of blessing based on their, on their own understanding. So the scripture says in Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed because they have no knowledge. So if in any area of life that you feel defeated, any area of life where you, it's just a constant struggle with the battle of, uh, with, and battle with darkness, you can know there's a deficiency in light in that area because all you need to send darkness packing and on its way is light. And just like when I turned on the light, in, this, in, the, in my living room. I didn't have to fast and pray for the light to come on. I didn't have to call Hydro Quebec and say, hey, I'm about to flick my switch on. Could you please, you know, uh, could you please provide power for me to do it? I didn't have to ask them to do it. I didn't have to, you know, put oil on the lamp and then pray. For God to give me breakthrough in this area. I didn't have to do any of that. All I had to do was turn the light switch on. And the moment I did that, because my bills have been paid, and I have a good history with Hydro-Quebec, that we pay the electricity a month, a, a month, a, no, we pay the electricity a month after, and I've never missed a payment, then they've guaranteed power is going to flow through these walls. And as such, when I turn that light on, I don't have to wonder if the light's going to come on, the light comes on. And when the light comes on, it's not some slow, you know, long-term battle between light and darkness. Like there's a little light here and a little light here, but darkness is still here and it's wrestling. And there's like a wrestling match between, between light and darkness. And it seems like there's, there's some progress being made, but then there's a pushback and there's a constant wrestling back and forth. That's not how it happens. The moment the light comes on, the darkness just leaves. No prayer required. Well, in the same vein, when you start to learn what I'm about to preach to you from the scriptures, it, it, it won't, it won't, you're going to move from someone who's ignorant of the devil's devices to someone who's battling out the devil to someone who's always defeated by the devil to someone who has overwhelming, triumphant victory over the devil in the name of Jesus Christ. Category number one, those that are ignorant. To the, to the devil's devices. Those that are ignorant to uh, the spiritual realm. You know, there's a lot of Christians, a lot of churches, pastors, ministers, they totally ignore the spiritual realm. They, they have their heads buried in the ground somewhere and they totally disengage from any thought, any truth of the Word of God that deals with the spiritual realm. I want to show you something. Ephesians chapter 6. So if you're ignorant that there even is a devil, you know that's exactly what the devil wants to do? He wants to try and put sickness on you, 
put depression on you, put obstacles in your way, make life a living hell on earth, slap you around, and then back up, and then get you to think God did it all. As if he doesn't exist. As if he, he you know, he, he, he's just some fairy tale figure. You know, he's really just a symbol of evil. No, there's a real devil who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So that shows you, not only is there a real devil, it tells you the intention the devil has for you. It's not to make buddies. He doesn't want to be pen pals with you. The scripture says he's seeking people he can devour, swallow up. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. So if, you, if there's something being stolen from you, if there's something killing you, if there's something that shows destruction running through your family, through your business, whatever, you can know that's not God. That's the devil. That's the thief. It's the adversary. I mean, you look at it in the Garden of Eden. That snake was the devil that came in to deceive Eve and Adam of the freedom they had in that garden and said God's actually holding back further freedom. But really, it wasn't. That's what people think. Sin is just God holding back pleasure. It's not. It's whole, He's holding back penalty and consequence. God doesn't have to curse you when you sin. Sin invites the devil on the scene. Sin is an invitation to the devil to shipwreck your destiny. To destroy your life. To steal from you. It gives room, a foothold for the devil to drag you down. And so people think God's requirements of holiness are actually just because he doesn't want you to be happy. No, it's actually because he, he wants you to be more than happy, joyful. Because the wages of sin is death. Sin, when it's fully conceived, and it brings forth death, and death in its various forms. So if the devil can get you to totally, you know, that's what 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, the God of this age blinds the minds of them which believe not. Not just not believe God. Not just not believe in the atonement of Christ. They don't believe in the existence of the devil. And you hear that preached on many pulpits throughout America and Canada. He's just a symbol of darkness. You know, the, he's, just, uh, he's just a symbol of evil in this world. No, there's an actual person, which Isaiah 14 goes in great detail, detail to describe the fall of Lucifer. He, there, he's an, he's a, a, a spirit being. That I mean, you see it in Job. When God said, where have you been, Lucifer? Where have you been, Satan? And he said, I've been roaming the earth to and fro. What do you think he's doing? He's looking for a small gate to jump in, pounce in. Genesis 4, Cain offers up to God a cheap sacrifice. And the Lord visits him and he says, why is your countenance sad? I mean, why do you look sad? Why do you look disfigured? And he said, it's not sin crouching at your door. And its desire is for you. That Hebrew picture is an illustration. Sin is like a lion waiting at the door of your house. 
to pounce on, to destroy, to wipe you out, waiting for an invitation in, waiting for someone to open the door and say, you're welcome, so he can pounce on. So if you think that life is just natural, everything is flesh and blood, let me read this, Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So if we're going to believe everything the Bible says about Jesus, everything the Bible says about God, everything the Bible talks about angels, everything the Bible talks about you and I, then we also have to believe that when the Bible's talking about the devil, he's not talking about, you know, uh, he's not giving an illustration of dark. No, there's a real devil. Well, the Bible says even though there's a real devil, God has a counterattack and weapons of warfare and armory, spiritual armory, that you can put on so you're not a mockery of hell, but rather you can stand in victory over the powers of darkness. So listen to this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So that boss that's trying to make things hard for you, that's not flesh and blood. That's why you can't get mad at humans. You don't get mad at humans. You don't, you know... There are some people that they're fully, you know, in bed with hell, especially in government. They, they full well know what they're trying to do. They're trying to bring about an antichrist system onto the earth. They know it. You know, people like George Soros funding wickedness. They're in bed with the devil. They full out and well know that they're cooperating with hell's agenda to enforce it on the earth. That type of person we pray against. That type of person, you, you know, you can pray like David prayed. Shatter the teeth of the ungodly. I, David said, I hate those that hate you. Let them be brought to mutual confusion. Let the way of their life be dark and slippery and let the angel of the Lord pursue them. So there are people you pray against. But that boss that's making things hard for you, you know, the doctor that gives you a bad report, that's not, you don't get mad at him. There's a devil behind the scenes trying to work that thing out. But if you're ignorant to that, if you just look at life as totally natural and you're just like Elisha, servant comes out and he sees there's a great army coming. And because he didn't have spiritual eyes to see what was behind that army and then what was behind him, backing him, that there were more for him than there were against him. It caused him to go into despondency, just to be sad. Come on, oh, what are we going to do here? You know, that's where people get in Christianity. They get a bad report, and then they, I, I just dreaded that. I dreaded for this day. I just knew this day would come, and I dreaded it. But, you know, life happens. That's where people are, they, they, as if it's just life. There's a real God. There's a Holy Ghost. And there's a real devil. And there are demons that are assigned to wipe you out. But the Scripture says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness in heavenly places. Take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, stand. And verse 16 says, Above all, take up the shield of faith with which you can quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. So Ephesians 6 says, there's a real devil. So category number one, is uh, there's ca a category of Christian number one, people that ignore the devil. People that totally are oblivious to the spiritual realm. I mean, you look at Daniel praying 
for intervention in the nation. And he fasts for 21 days. And finally, the archangel Michael comes and says, uh, the archangel Gabriel comes and says, I've been sent from the day one, day one since you prayed, I've been sent to answer your prayer. But the spirit prince, the demonic prince over the area of Persia withstood me. And so I called for reinforcement. And when Mike, Michael came, I was sent to, to give you the answer to your prayer. So there are forces that are working aligned against your destiny. If you're ignorant to that, you're going to live a very shallow form of Christianity. Number two, category number two, is those that live in defeat. In reference to the devil. People that live, they, they, just, they just think they, they're pretty much defeated. That the devil's over their head. That he's a higher power. You know, demons are higher power than us. They're stronger than us. And they get fed by Hollywood. That tells, you know, they show the priest coming in with a, a cross, a crucifix. And he's coming in with holy water. And then the demon just leaps up and beats them up. And they leave and... Seems like nobody can cast that devil out. They just, every time they try to do something, they, they leave shame-faced. They leave defeated. And so that's the picture they have of themselves. And that's the picture they have of the devil. That there's some big, mighty, strong devil whose arms are like 40, uh, 50 inches in diameter in circumference. And that there's nothing we can do about it. But I'm going to show you right here. That that's, not, <laughs> that's not the way. We look in the Spirit. Bible says, turn with, turn with me if you have your Bible to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. And verse 23. And he said this parable to them. How can Satan cast out Satan? If, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom can't stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house can't stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he can't stand, but he has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he can plunder his house. So it shows you the devil does have, uh, he has a limited authority and a limited power over those that are captive to his system. So when you're not saved, when you live in this world, he has a limited authority over you. I say limited because the moment you decide to give your life to Jesus, he no longer has authority over you. But I want you to see something. That when the stronger one, which represents the Christ in you, the wickedness and the devils and the demons around you can never rise higher, can never be stronger than the Christ who lives in you. So you have people that literally stay in that level of Christianity, the defeated church, just constantly, you know, uh, every time, every time I, I pray for someone who's sick, it seems like I get sick or someone in my house gets sick and we always battling sickness. And uh, I know God has a diff has a way out of this. And I, I know God has a, a, a mysterious plan. He's working behind the scenes. There is no mysterious plan. His plan's not a mystery. It's very evident and clear in the scripture. To break you free from the power. The Bible says the Son of God was made manifest to destroy the work of the devil. But you have people that invite more attack because they sit in complaining 
about how things never work for them, how things are always hard, how things, you know, it seems like I take one step forward and ten steps back. They live defeated. So though they've been set free, they're on their way to heaven because their perspective in life, big devil, small God in them, nothing seems to work for them, and it actually invites more attack. They're afraid of the devil. Don't know how to deal with the devil. Don't believe they're even able to do anything about the devil. Oh, you see, I have this spirit that comes on me and, you know, I don't know what to do anymore. That, that, that's not the position you're to take as more than a conqueror. And I'm going to show you how you can break out of that. So category number one, the ignorant church. Category number two, there's the defeated church, the defeated Christian. Category number three, there's the warring Christian. So this is a little, a step further than the defeated one. They just give up. I don't know what to do. Devil's too strong. How many of you know, you know, we have our plans, but there's a real devil in this world. And, 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 and sometimes he just comes in and messes things up. But one day, one day. We're looking forward to when that angel comes and binds him up and throws him in the lake of fire and we'll never have to deal with him again. Number three, there's the warring Christian. The ones constantly battling the devil. So the defeated one, they don't do anything about it. They just sit, play dead, hope he leaves. The warring one is they're just constantly battling, warring, constantly uh, praying about the devil. I'll remind you, there's not one prayer in the New Testament in reference to the devil. Not one time did Paul say, we, uh, you know, we pray against this foul spirit in this area. Not once. We're not called to pray against spirits. We're called to use the king, the keys of the kingdom to take authority. Jesus, in Mark 16, in my name, you'll cast out devils. Not pray about devils. Cast out devils. So you have the warring church. They, th they think that they're, you know, you, you ask them to cast out a devil, and what do they do? Roll up their sleeves, and they're going to get to work. They're like energizing themselves. I tell the story, Bishop Oyedepo, he's a man in Nigeria, minister as one of the largest churches on planet Earth. And he's, uh, his cousin gets stricken with a spirit of insanity, just from one day to the other, lost his mind. And they called for him to come and pray. And they were expecting him to come in and fling oil over him. You know what he did? He took him out of the bed and he brought him into his car, sat him in the back seat and began to drive around to where he was going. And he said, let me see the devil that can stand in my presence, that can handle the light of God that works in me. By the time they got to their destination, he was sitting clothed and in his right mind, totally delivered. No prayer. Just understanding what he carried, such as I do have. He knew who was, you know, we believe everything about the Bible of what God says about himself, everything. You know, some people, they know, they know about the devil and his tactics. They believe in angels and how powerful they are. But then they don't even, they don't believe and aren't convinced of the power that's at work in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Not a different spirit. The same spirit 
You look at Mark 5, that gathering demoniac came before Jesus, bowed his face to the ground. What have we to do together? Have you come to torment me before the time? That spirit at work in Christ was a tormenting force to the devil. So you're not called to... People say, well, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle against spiritual forces. That's not talking about you physically wrestling or you, you know, constantly battling things out with the devil. It just says... Wrestling, if you study in the Greek, it's actually talking about there's always going to be opposition. Meaning anytime you take a step to go to a higher level, there'll always be opposition. But you're not at the mercy of that opposition. You're not subject to that opposition. You're not inferior or carry less power than that opposition. You have the greater one that lives in you, and as such, you can bind the strong man and plunder his house. And anything he's trying to keep back from you, you can freely retrieve and recover all. I tell you in the name of Jesus Christ, as this light of this word gets in your spirit today, everything the devil's taken from you, everything the devil's tried to steal from you, everything the devil's kept guarding away from you so that you can never have and he's taunted you you'll never be healthy he's taunted you and said you'll never be rich he's taunted you and said you'll never have a normal family you'll never be normal in your mind in the name of Jesus as this light comes on you and you begin to exercise that authority in the name and by the blood of Jesus everything the devil's taken from you you shall recover all for the Bible says the Lord restored the captivity of Job God's going to restore everything that's and taken captive from you. God is going to restore, press down, shaken together, falling over into your lap. This year, in the name of Jesus Christ, if you believe that, just say, I'm being restored. In the comment section, write it out. I'm being restored. Or, or actually, write this. God will restore all. God will restore all. God will restore all. What the swarming locusts have eaten. What the chewing locusts have eaten. Whatever the devil's done to you and your family, God will restore all. Hallelujah. He might have done his best. He might have tried his best. He might have worked overtime this year to try and wipe you out. He might have flung every single arrow at your house. He might have done everything he knows to do. Literally since the day that he was created. And every weapon he's fashioned. He's, he, he's, he's pointed your way. And has tried to pull that trigger. And wipe you out. I tell you everything he's done will backfire and fail. No weapon formed against you is going to prosper. And the tongue that's risen up against you that's mouthed off saying where's your God well where's God now and he's mocked you and scoffed at you the devil might have had the first laugh but you're gonna have the last laugh in Jesus mighty name hallelujah so the warring church the warring church is usually the people they call themselves intercessors in church they're they're the ones who carry spiritual badges on them you know, like spiritual scouts. They got all kinds of badges and all kinds of accomplishments. They think they literally are trying to take the place of Christ in gaining the victory. They're trying, you don't have to fight the devil. The Bible never says you're to fight the devil. The Bible says the only fight you're to do is to fight the good fight of faith. And so these guys, they literally are trying to fight off the devil. They're trying to, they're trying to do what Christ has already done. The Bible says Christ disarmed principalities and powers. So if he disarmed, what are you doing fighting? You're not called to fight. You're called to open up your mouth 
and cast out devils, to resist by the confession of your mouth. You're called to enforce the victory by using the name of Jesus. And when that name is spoken in lips of faith and a heart convicted of the reality of the word of God, the scripture says every knee will bow. Not you battling it out. If every witch around the world got together to curse my life, my family, whatever, it would just... The Bible says the curse of without cause will not alight. The Bible says that there shall be no enchantment against Jacob and there shall be no divination against the house of Israel. Name, uh, Balaam said, whom God has blessed, no man can curse. I don't have to fight it. I don't have to even pray about witches. I know that I have a shield called faith around me. I know that I have a wall of fire, Christ. The Bible says He encompasses you with a wall of fire. I know that I'm seated far above. They don't even, hell hasn't even made a weapon that can reach where I am, where I dwell. I dwell in the heavens. My citizenship is in heaven. And as such, I don't even have to pray about attack. I'm blessed and the curse without cause. The scripture even says, those who attempt to curse you, they'll only reap the curse that they release. It'll come back. The Bible says their violent dealings will fall back down on their own head. The scripture says uh, in the book of Psalm, I think it's Psalm 7, their violent dealings will return upon their own head and their destruction will come back on them. So the moment, the moment they try and curse you, all it's doing is that thing rebouncing back onto them and causing them to go through the very thing. That's why the scripture says the pit will be dug, but you'll not fall in it. The stone can be rolled, but it'll be rolled back on them that try and roll it over you in the first place. That's why the scripture says whoever causes an upright man to go astray in an evil way, that man will fall into the pit but the blameless will inherit good. That's why the scripture says in the book of uh, Proverbs, he that sows in righteousness will reap a sure reward. Surely there is a reward for the righteous. The Bible says he blesses us with a shield of favor. If Tell me something. If the hedge of protection in Job's life was able to keep him set and secure as long as that hedge was in place, and that hedge was based on his righteousness. And now we're, our hedge is based upon the righteousness of Christ. How much more do you suppose now? If the devil couldn't have access to Job under a, no covenant other than the Genesis 3 covenant, how much more of the Noahic covenant? How much more being under the new covenant, which is a better covenant based on better promises, shall we be kept preserved, safe, protected, and strong. That's why Psalm 91 says, He that dwells in the shelter shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I'm not going about worrying. worrying. Well, how many of you know when you go to uh, Montreal, there's a, there's a real spirit that's in there. We went to Maquasagaga, Luton Lake, 40 minutes out, uh, west of Meadow Lake in northern Saskatchewan. Suicide epidemic. 14 attempts in one month in a town of like a thousand, if that. The week before I got there, there were four suicide attempts, uh, four suicides that went that they, they ended up killing themselves. Uh, the youngest was a 12-year-old girl. Did I go and say, Father, we just bind the spirit of suicide? No. 
I went in as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, preached the gospel, got the gospel into the hearts of them that were there. And you'd be imagined what flinging oil that people can't do. The moment they accept Christ, they, the Bible says, when you accept Christ, you are now free from the curse of the law. You're now free. The moment Christ comes to dwell in your heart, you're free at that moment and far from oppression. You're elevated to a high place in God. So that it's, it's like you don't even have to pray for them to be delivered. The moment they get transferred out of darkness into light, they're delivered from suicidal thoughts and tendencies. And after that, since I've been there, I was just 40 minutes away from it uh, this last two weeks. I asked the pastor, has there been any suicide? He said, there's been one suicide uh, since you left. And there were 14 attempts and four the month I was there. And I think there was like the uh, 30 or so, 28 suicides. The month that I, I uh, the month before I got there. And if, if nobody went to put a stop, it would have continued going. That's not me trying to brag on me. No, it has nothing to do with me. All I did was take the light of the word of God. And speak how forcible are right words. I spoke the right words of the gospel. And the gospel went to work. Without me having, I don't have to help the gospel. All I have to do is speak. And the Bible says the Lord works with them who believe. And confirms the message preached with signs and wonders. So the number four category, and I'll finish with this. The fourth category of Christians is the triumphant church. So number one, there's the ignorant church, the ignorant Christian. Number two, there's the defeated Christian. Number three, there's the warring Christian, always having to battle things out, never really getting victory. It's just a long, um, a long boxing fight with the devil. You're bleeding, he's bleeding, and hopefully we'll be the one to make it out with, as the victor. But number four, and this is what I believe God's going to do in you today and bring you to this place in Christ today in Jesus' name, is the triumphant Christian. The triumphant Christian. 1 John 5, 4, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Turn with me to 1 John 5. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, and he who is born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one can't touch him. The wicked one does not touch him. The wicked one can't touch him. We know that we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. So yes, there's a devil. Yes, he has a plan to wipe you out. Yes, he's a, a vicious being. Yes, he has a, a, a hate for you. And you know why he has a hate for you? It's like, what did you ever do to him? Nothing. Why does he have a hate for you? Because he got his rear end cast out of heaven and he has a vendetta against God. But because he can't go to God and do anything about God, God is God. He already got, his, he already got bound and thrown out of heaven. He already tried that and he couldn't defeat God. So what does he do? He goes after what God loves most. And that's you and that's me. That's human beings created in the likeness of God. Man, I think God created us in his likeness just to spite the devil even more. Because the devil's problem was that he wanted to become like God. But he couldn't become like God. He had his place in heaven. And he walked and he stepped out of his place. And then when God created humans, man and, and woman, he created us in the image of God. And in the image of him who created us, created, created he them. 
I'm created. If you ever wondered what God looked like, He looks like us. He's got hands, He's got eyes, He's got feet, He's got a mouth, He's got ears, He's got hair. The scripture says on the island of Patmos, God be, uh, John beheld Him. His eyes a flame of fire, His hair white as wool, so He has our features. He looked, we look like Him. Well, the devil couldn't stand that, that He made us in His image. So just like, um, you know, if, if you broke up, with a, a girl or a guy in high school and they hated you for it and they came to your house and they couldn't get in the house to beat you up. They had a bat in their hand and they were ready to just slam your head over. But they couldn't get to you because the door was locked. And so what did they do? Instead of getting to you, they saw your brand new Camaro sitting in the front, in the front of, your, uh, of your driveway, just staying there idle. And they say, well, if I can't get to them, then I'll get to their most prized possession. And they went ahead and just started to smash that Camaro. Started to break the windows, pop the tires, slash the tires. And so, because they couldn't get to you, they went to the most prized possession that you have. Well, the devil couldn't get to God, so he tries to go after us. But the good news, hallelujah, the good news is, is that when Christ raised us up, and made and, and he raised us up, and he made us to be seated in him in heavenly places, just like the head is above every principality and power. The Bible says we are his body. We're the body of Christ. And the head and the body aren't separate we don't have less authority than the head we have the same authority in the head even if you feel like the pinky toe of the body of Christ you have more authority than all the power of hell you have more authority than every demon every spirit of infirmity and Jesus didn't come to set up some museum for us to look at and say well that was Christ he came to show us what it means and what it looks like to enforce authority over the devil when he saw that woman what that was bent over double bound by a spirit of infirmity he didn't just look at her and say well let's just pray things change no he took authority and he said thou foul spirit of infirmity I command you to loose her and let her go and immediately the thing came off her and she that was bound and pressed out double she came up straightened and immediately the people glorified God and Jesus said had not this woman whom Satan had been had bound 18 years should not this woman be loose from this infirmity on the Sabbath the devil might have bound you the devil I mean you look at it when Jesus was about to go into to, into Jerusalem on that donkey he sent his disciples to the city opposite him and he said you're going to find a colt a donkey tied and go and loose it and if the people say what are you doing you're to say the master has need of it you know a lot of people that was a redeemed colt you know how we know that because in Jewish law a colt a donkey if it wasn't redeemed, meaning if it wasn't bought back, if, it, if they hadn't gone through the redemption process for that donkey, it, the, the Bible says that they would have had to have cracked his neck. They would have had to have broken its neck if it didn't go through the redemption, uh, redemption process. So that was like a redeemed cult. That was a redeemed donkey. There's a lot of people in the church that are redeemed. There's a lot of people whose sins are forgiven. There's a lot of people who are going to make heaven. But God is not just interested in getting you to heaven. He wants to make it so that heaven gets to you here on the earth that's why Jesus prayed pray that my will be done on earth as it is in heaven and so when he said his disciples to go and loose that colt he he knew there was going to be people that pipe up and say what are you doing loosing that colt I tell you even this message right now some of you are going to have people 
Religious people that get around you. What are you doing? People, religious people don't want you to be set free. Religious people around your family, they don't want you to stay to, to get free. They want you to stay bound because they don't want you to break out of the thing that they're still captive to. And they don't want to celebrate your success. They want to have you in their group, keep you tied up in the things that have kept them tied up year after year. You know, we have this in our family. You know, we've always struggled in this. And the moment you take a step towards freedom, they try to bring you right back down. And that's what happened. What are you doing with that cult? And they said the master has need of it. So it doesn't matter who's trying to keep you bound, who's trying to keep keep you down, who's trying to take you captive, who's trying to you know keep you in the mold of their life. When the master has need of you, then it doesn't matter what tries to hold you back. That thing has to break off your life and you're to walk in freedom. The devil will not like you to hear this message but the fact remains the same this is the gospel of our salvation this is the light of the gospel that has the power that has the ability that has the authority to set you free from no matter what the devil's done to you in the name of jesus christ i tell you just like lazarus he came back from the from the dead but he was still bound by grave clothes he was still bound by a cloth on his head you might be alive in christ but you're still bound i'm telling you here today as this message gets in you you're free you're set free the the bible says the anointing proclaims release to the captives the anointing sets free them that are oppressed the anointing the scripture says uh, it, it lifts up the heavy burden. It breaks the yoke of captivity. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have to go through battle, but take heart. By that anointing, you can overcome this world. In Jesus' name, everything that came as a result of Adam's fall, everything that came as a result of, of Satan's victory over Adam, as Satan's uh, authority being enforced on the earth, his kingdom of darkness being set up, everything that came as a result of Adam leaves you as you have come to Christ. The Bible says what we lost in Adam, we regain in Christ. What did we lose in Adam? We lost peace. We lost prosperity. We lost sanctification. We lost righteousness. But bless God, in Christ we regain righteousness. We regain health. We regain vitality. We regain strength and the things that used to reign in life. The Bible says in Christ we are now kings and priests to reign in this life. In Jesus' name, those chains of affliction get broken off your life right now in the name of Jesus Christ. If you believe that shout, I'm free. Just write it out in the comment section. I'm free. I'm free at last. I'm free at last and I'm free indeed. Never to be brought back into the bondage of this world. Oh, don't let religion cheat you of your, war your reward. Thinking that you have to just, you know, that you're more pious, you're more religious, you have a, you're actually a stronger Christian if you just, yeah, the more things you go through the more struggle you have it actually proves you're a greater christian you know god gives his greatest battles to his greatest warriors that's a bunch of rubbish there's none of that in the bible because the bible says jesus jesus wasn't battling through life the bible says even when people picked up stones to throw at him and kill him he just walked through the midst of them then he went invisible they couldn't even, when god <laughs> hallelujah it wasn't jesus's time to go it wasn't jesus's time to go and be crucified yet it wasn't jesus's time 
to be uh, persecuted. So what happened? When the devil stirred up that crowd to throw rocks at him, he went invisible and he just walked through. He didn't have to battle through. He didn't have to fight them all. And finally, uh, you know, through the spirit of Samson, the spirit of the Lord that came on him as uh, like it came on Samson, he was able to break his way through. No, the Bible says he just walked through the midst of it. I tell you, that's what this level of Christianity brings you. The scripture says, thanks be unto God, who always leads us to triumph. The things that you used to fight for, the things that you used to, to battle against, the things that you used to you have to war against, you used to have to sweat and just pray and fast 40 days to break off your life. Those things, you're going to sweatlessly, effortlessly triumph and bulldoze through from this day onward in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Forever gone are the days of sickness, plague in your family. Forever gone are the days of pain in your body. Forever gone are the days of poverty ransacking your house. Forever gone are the days of sin and addiction and 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 chains of addiction keeping you down forever gone are the days of defeat you're not called to be defeated the scripture says thanks be unto god who has caused us and led and leads us into triumph in all things through christ jesus in the name of jesus christ hallelujah if you're here today you've never given your life to jesus today's your day you need to get saved all this will be uh, totally foreign to you unless you're born again. You need to come into the family of God. You need to get saved. You need to drop hands with the devil and join hands with Jesus today. The Bible says that this is the victory, even our faith. And faith, before it can be used to uh, arrest any other attack, you need to first use your faith to get saved. For by grace are you saved through faith. You need faith to get saved. So if you believe God raised Jesus from the dead and you're ready to confess with your mouth Christ is Lord, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you. I believe you raised Christ from the dead. I confess Jesus is my Lord and I'll live for him. Fill me with your spirit. Baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Where I was weak, make me strong. Turn my life around. Let old things be done away with. Let all things be new. God is my Father. Heaven is now my, my destiny. And I'll never turn back in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, go with me to salvationnow.ca. And um, the first link that pops up is I just got saved. Click it, fill it out, give me your address. I want to get I want to get some uh, literature to you. I want to get uh, like a welcome pack to you that is going to greatly bless you and help you and assist you, so that uh, you can live in victory the rest of your life, the rest of your days. So do that. Salvationnow.ca. First link that pops up. I just got saved. Fill it out. I'd love to get some uh, resources to you, full free of charge. We pay shipping, handling, everything, no matter where you are in the world, as long as UPS or whatever uh, postal service, if it gets to you, then we'll get it to you. For the rest of you online, let me pray for you. Father, I pray, let the light of what I spoke on today get in them, to energize them, infuse in them a holy boldness. Just like Paul and Silas grew boldly in the Lord, I pray, let this message increase the boldness on the inside of them so that the next time the enemy comes knocking on their door, they wouldn't see the shy, he wouldn't see the shy, timid mouse that used to answer the door, 
But Lord, like your word says, the wicked flee when no man is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Father, I activate the lion boldness in the hearts of those watching right now to rise up in the authority that's been given to us as believers. Thank you for the name of Jesus that is far above every other name in heaven and on earth and beneath the earth. Thank you, Father, for the keys of the kingdom that you said we can bind whatever we desire to bind, and it shall be bound. Thank you that you said, Behold, I give you power over unclean spirits, not to bear them, but to cast them out, to tread upon serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the devil. Thank you, Lord, that you said all power Power and authority has been given unto me. And you said, now I'm going to give you that you delegated that authority to us, your body, the church of the living God, so that the devil doesn't get to dictate what goes on and transpires on the earth. Thank you, Father, that there's still the Holy Ghost in your church who's the restrainer of the Antichrist. And if he can restrain the Antichrist on the earth, I thank you, Lord, that that same spirit on the inside of us can restrain sickness from coming into our homes, can restrain a demonic attack, that can, can restrain any type of of a blueprint the enemy would have drawn up to wipe us out. I thank you that if the, the, the prince of demons is restrained by the Holy Ghost in us, then how much more weak is the rest of the demons under him? I thank you that the greater one lives in us. I thank you that your word says that the stronger one who binds the strong man lives in us so we can bind the enemy everywhere we go. I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to complain about the cases and the situations that we're facing. Our children not wanting anything to do with the Lord or, or, or perhaps drug addiction in the family or sickness in the family or perhaps it's just a, a series of defeated things, a, a defeated events and, and, and loss of victory. I thank you Lord that we don't have to complain about the mountain but you said we can use the authority and speak to the mountain for it to be uprooted and cast into the midst of the sea never to be remembered never to be brought back up in Jesus mighty name and we'll give you thanks for it. Thank you that we're righteous thank you that our sins are forgiven thank you that the accuser of the brethren has no ammunition to accuse us another day in our life because our sins have been blotted out and our sins and lawless deeds you remember no more in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you for joining me. If you'd like to, if you'd like to give uh, to this ministry, you know, we just saw over, we were in smaller churches, you know, in uh, Saskatchewan and Alberta. We did three churches, and we saw over 50, 50 decisions for Christ. I think it's closer to 60, but definitely over 50 decisions in one church that I think was 50 people on Sunday morning. We had 28 decisions for Christ. First time decisions and renewals of people. And, and I contacted the pastor. He said, man, our church is like people that were lukewarm and not on fire. They're on fire. They're on fire. They're ready to kick the devil's butt everywhere they go. So this is a ministry that goes after the loss. Our priority is to bring in lost souls before it's eternally too late. The Bible says we are called forth out of darkness into His marvelous light. And Jesus said, freely you've received, now freely give. We have a mandate. We have a task. We're not here playing religious games. We're not here uh, entertaining Christians, 
you know, but ultimately we don't really, you know, if the loss come in the church, then that's one thing, but we don't know. We cast our nets wherever the Lord tells us to cast our net. We're going to be doing a crusade in Saskatoon. I talked to the pastor. He felt it in his spirit before I even brought it up. We're going to do a crusade, a hope fest. We're going to give away free gifts, free food, whatever. Feed the hungry. Do what Jesus told us to do. But we're not, we're not a humanitarian uh, ministry. We're not just handing out socks so people can go to hell with socks on. We're not handing out food so people can go to, go to hell fed. We're not handing out uh, food baskets just so that people can go to hell, but at least they have groceries. We give, we feed the hungry. We're going to provide resources to them that are in lack, but at the same time, we're not going <laughs> to, those things are good, but the highest need of man is not food. The highest need and necessity for men is not even water, even though it takes three, four days before you die without, you know, if you don't have water, three or four days, five days, you can die without water. The highest need is not clothing or even shelter. The highest need man has is the gospel because you can die sick and go to hell. You can die, uh, you can die healthy and go to hell. It doesn't matter if you're healthy and you don't have Christ. The gospel needs to be preached. Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached in all the world. And T.L. Osborne used to say, you're either a full-time preacher or you send somebody in your stead. And some of you got it. God's not called you to be a full-time evangelist. And that's fine. Not everybody's called to be a full-time pastor. Not everybody's called to be a full-time minister of the, uh, of the gospel, you know, preaching, just rigorous tra traveling schedules from church to church and crusade to crusade. However, everybody is called to either be a full-time preacher or to send somebody in their stead. We are all called. Uh, Third John says, that when traveling ministers come in who are going out bearing his name amongst the Gentiles, amongst them that are unbelievers, when they come your way, you are to partner in them. The Bible says when you do partner in their ministry, and the Bible says when you partner in their ministry, you partake of their reward. So don't, make, don't let life go by. And all you do is save up for retirement. All you do is saving up for a flat screen TV. All you're doing is saving up for a vacation at the end of the year. First of all, if you were planning to save up for a vacation, where could you go? The whole world's in lockdown. Instead, use that, use those seed, that seed, that, that money, that sacrifice, uh, that, that which you were going to give elsewhere. Use it as a sacrificial seed into the kingdom of God. And you'll see. The thing you thought you were sacrificing, God will even put something even better in your head. The trip you thought you were sacrificing, God will put it even better. I've done that, man, where I've sown significant seed. And the thing I thought I would have to go without, God just brought it in better than I could have ever have imagined. Why? Because what eye has not seen, what ear has not heard, what has never even entered the heart of man, God said, I have prepared for those that love me. And you show God you love Him by the way you give towards His kingdom. I, I mean, people say all the time, you know, I have a heart for God, but I don't believe in tithing and offering. Really? How could you? I, hey, Carrie, my wife, I have a love for you, but don't ever expect one thing from me. Matter of fact, uh, can you just, you know, I, I know people do engagement rings and diamond rings and stuff, but do you mind just taking this string? Uh, you know, because uh, I, I, I love you and stuff, but I, I don't really believe in, in I don't really believe in, in, in making you happy and pleasing you and, and stuff like that. that what, it's stupid. It, it's ludicrous. If I love my wife, I gave her a ring. I sold my car to buy a ring that was worthy enough to give her 
And people come. We were at Denny's the other day, and a lady comes up. Wow, what a ring. And that made me happy because I remember the sacrifice. But you know what? When I sold that car to give her, uh, to, to give her that ring, I didn't have to go long without a car. I ended up getting a better car. Amen. I'm telling you, you can give towards God's kingdom. You can sow sparingly and you'll reap sparing rewards. Actually, whatever you don't feel leave your hand when you give, you won't feel come back into your hand when you receive. But if you'll feel it, that's why when you see someone come to you after a meeting and they have tears in their eyes and they present you a check, it's not too long after that they have tears in their eyes, not because of, you know, man, we really shouldn't have given into that ministry. They have tears in their eyes because, man, what we were saving up for and we sold into that ministry uh, is a sacrificial seed. What we were saving up for doesn't even compare to what God actually put in our hands. And I believe that's going to be your story in the name of Jesus Christ. You can't outgive God. Solomon so loved the, the Lord, he offered up a thousand burnt offerings. After he was done offering up those offerings, the Lord showed up to him at night and said, Solomon, I'm well pleased with the sacrifice you made. Now ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And he said, I want wisdom. And the Lord said, I'm pleased with that. Not only will I give you wisdom, I'll give you, I'll give you riches and wealth beyond what you... People have a problem with wealth. But you know what? It takes wealth to finance the end time harvest. It takes wealth to be a blessing to others it takes wealth and financial resources to help someone who comes to you in need I'm, I'm tired of sending people away just keeping them into my thoughts and prayers I'm tired of people just like oh we'll just keep you in prayer oh you have a need well we'll just believe God with you no I, I'm tired of just believing God with you I want to be the one that meets the need not because of what I have but because of God's resources flowing freely through me I don't want to be a, 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 a bucket just trying to take in everything God has for me so my needs can be met. I want to be a funnel. I want to be a funnel that as God blesses me, I get the taste of his blessing first, but then the spout pours out the blessing to the rest of those around me so that others can taste and see of God's goodness. Paul said that in 2 Corinthians 9. He said, your rich liberality has abounded in the many with thanksgiving unto God. What does he mean? By your sacrificial giving, many have been thanking God for miraculous provision in their own lives. That's how God wants to use you. That's how God's been using me. And I tell you, if you'll give, we're not called to borrow. He says you will lend to many nations. There's people that are just believing God for enough money and make rent for this month. God doesn't want to make you rent for this month. God doesn't want to just have you, you know, get by. We're not to, to travel on barely getting around street. We are to, we serve El Shaddai. He's the God of overflow. He's the God of more than enough. When he broke the five loaves and two fish, did he break it and just give enough to everyone around him? Or was there 12 baskets left over? And who do you think got those baskets left over of the fragrance, which were, which were remain it was that little boy because by the law of seed time and harvest it couldn't have been anyone else nobody else gave up their lunch that day nobody else stood up and said here you can have this it was that little boy that gave his little into the hands of Jesus and those hands are not subtracting hands God's not trying to take from you God's not trying to get less in your hands God's actually trying to multiply the little you have and bring it back into your hand so you can do more 
for him on the earth. And I believe as you do that today, God will make all grace abound towards you. You'll have an abundance for every good work and you'll not have any needs. Not only will you have no needs, as you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll meet the desires of your heart in Jesus' name. So if you'd like to give today, you can go to salvationnow slash give. And um, you can do one time, you can partner with us monthly, you can partner with us twice a week, you can do it twice a year, whatever you want. And I want to thank you in advance for doing that. I highly appreciate every single one of you that it's given. We've, we've had so many people come on board um, as monthly partners, and uh, it means a lot to me. And it doesn't matter if it means a lot to me, it means a lot to God. I know it. Because you can't seek God first and not have everything else that you've been looking for and desiring to obtain just cheaply be added to your account. So uh, thank you very much. And uh, I know God will bless you. I know just like that Shunammite, uh, that Zara, uh, what was it? The woman, the widow of Zarephath. When she gave into Elisha, Elijah's, uh, when she gave to Elijah that first portion of her cake, her piece of bread, when her and her sons were, were pretty much had nothing left over, she thought at first, man, I guess we'll just have a, an even smaller meal before we die. But in reality, Elijah declared, the bin of flour you have will never be used up. The jar of oil will never run dry, according to my word, until the Lord sends rain on the earth. And she and he and her household ate for many days. You know, they're projecting all kinds of stuff with the economy. What's going to happen? But you know, there's, there's two economies. There's the economy of the world and then the, the economy of heaven. And heaven's economy... You know, the world's economy, you have one pandemic and the stock market crashes. God's economy never crashed. You know how I know? Because throughout this whole pandemic, we've been able to give more and we've been able to sow more seed into other ministries and into feeding the hungry overseas than in any other year. By far, double what we took in last year. That's not me trying to... And double by... I think we hit double by like October and we're still increasing and that's and when we have great plans to use that to to further the gospel this next year these this coming year to do hope fest crusades to expand our, our online ministry so as you sow into this you know we're at work we're going to work just got back 18 days 50 plus souls coming to the lord in those three churches never to be the same again drug addicts getting set free Man, I just got word. There was a guy in Wildwood, Alberta that I prayed for two years ago. He was a drug addict. Tried to kill himself two weeks prior to the meeting that I was preaching. And uh, locking himself in a garage, rolling the windows down, and by carbon monoxide poisoning, the silent killer, he was going to off himself. Someone, His mom comes in at, right, at just the right time, goes to the hospital, gets recuperated, comes into the meeting two weeks or three weeks later, preached the gospel to him, comes up, power of God hits him, the desire for meth comes off his tongue, and then I felt the Lord say, the Lord's going to call you into the ministry, God's going to work through you, well I just got word, he, um, he's now a teen challenge, uh, like officer, he's a teen challenge, uh, not volunteer, he's on staff at teen challenge, setting other people free, that are bound by drug addiction, and alcohol, and meth addiction, and all kinds of Wicked devils trying to rob people of their dignity. Now God's using him. That, that was like a, a week ago. So man, w w there's lasting fruit. You know, there's a lot of ministries that they have a, 
a, a resemblance of fruit. But this, there's lasting fruit that happens in this ministry. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.